I'm William O'Flaherty, and welcome to the All About Jack podcast on the Knowing and Understanding C.S. Lewis YouTube channel. Alan Snyder returns to the show to chat about a new book for 2023 that he co-authored. It's called Many Times and Many Places, C.S. Lewis and the Value of History. Welcome back to the show, Alan. It's always good to be here. Third time. Glad to be back. Ah, yes. Good to have you here. Now, now let's begin with something I'm sure you, you've had to answer, sadly, probably many, many times since this book relates to history. You know, why should people even care about history? Well, there certainly are a lot of people who don't anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's a question that comes up quite often. Why study all those old people? I mean, don't we live for today? I mean, what does history have to do with what we're currently going through? Well, the standard answer, and by the way, it's actually a pretty good answer, is that we need to learn from the past, you know, from both the positive and the negatives in the past and see if we can apply some solutions possibly from the past or, you know, for what we face today. Um, on the other side of it, knowing the past might, might, just might help us to avoid some mistakes some foolish things that people have done in the past. Uh, been a lot of those. Uh, I have a comic that I've used in my historiography course that shows an older professor talking to a young student. And the professor says, uh, those that don't study history are doomed to repeat it, which is something a lot of people have always said. But he goes on to say, yet those who do study history are doomed to stand by helplessly while everyone else repeats it. So <laughs> as a historian, I understand that completely. And uh, I watch history, you know, the things happening currently taking place. And I think, well, if only we knew something about the past might make a difference. Mm, exactly. Yes. Yeah. We're recording this in uh, just about mid-October 2023, and uh, quite a few things are happening in the world at this time, which we won't have time to digress right. to, but uh, just a brief acknowledgement here. Well, now, um, kind of tongue-in-cheek, because I've, I've read your book and I understand, but for the uh, listener here, let's uh, phrase it this way. You know, Lewis is known for many things to different people, but why add historian to the list? Well, for me, I think it's important to show how well-rounded he was in his learning. And it's not just because I'm a historian, but that does help. You know, I, I want people to understand that he had that sense of history. Now, we know he's mostly known for his apologetics or his imaginative writings, but his scope of learning was essential uh, for both those apologetics and for the imaginative writings as well. He didn't write in some kind of a narrow vacuum uh, he drew from that vast storehouse of knowledge that he had before he, he you know, when he was studying history. Uh, one can even see quite clearly in his works that history plays a rather significant role. Uh, of course, if one looks at what he studied in Oxford in his greats program, it will be noticed that history was one of the cornerstones of that program. And he actually earned what Oxford calls a, a first in that. So Lewis apparently knew something about history. Well, now, um, Lewis, uh, one of the things in regarding uh, history um, uh, people may have, have noticed or, or heard about but maybe haven't read firsthand, I want you to share about Lewis, the fact that Lewis has a dissenting view of the, of the Renaissance. So what is it first, and then why is it worth considering? Well, you have to start with the conventional view of the Renaissance, uh, at least that most people take a conventional view. In fact, if you even go to the various dictionaries or, or encyclopedias that try to define what the Renaissance is, this conventional view will come out, which is that the Renaissance signified kind of a major break in history from the ancient worldview to the modern age. It kind of ushers in the modern age. But Lewis didn't see any major break there. 
In fact, he kind of argued that the Renaissance was mostly a continuation of the medieval worldview. Uh, he points specifically to those humanists of the Renaissance who were not introducing anything new and modern. Instead, they actually were kind of fascinated with the old, a revival of all the ancient Greek writings in particular. So Lewis did see a break, but he identified it a little later, sometime in the 19th century. He couldn't put an exact date on it uh, when the modern age began, but if you go and uh, read his inaugural address at Cambridge, uh, which you'll discover, um, he says the following, he believed it actually occurred shortly after the time of Jane Austen and Sir Walter Scott. So he takes it into the 19th century. The Renaissance, of course, was back in the 15th and 16th centuries. But he says, uh, push that back another three centuries before the real modern age begins. So it's not that he belittles this Renaissance period, but he just sees it as kind of a continuation. Nothing major happened in people's worldview. Go ahead and share the uh, title of the uh, what became the essay from his um, inaugural lecture. It's called De Descriptioni Temporum. Okay, I think I got the Latin right. De Descriptioni Temporum. <laughs> Which is why I had you say it and not me, just in case. <laughs> I'd, I'd stump on it, but yeah. Well, it's no, it's no guarantee if I say it right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but by history, or historically, you have said it correctly, I, I would assume, at, at least at some <laughs> point. But uh, anyway, but yes, yeah. so uh, that is uh, an essay that uh, many people are probably not familiar with unless they're well-versed in Lewis. I know many listeners are, but we want to make sure people are aware of where they can yeah. get that. And of course, your your book uh, does reference many different uh, essays uh, in terms of supporting what you're sharing about Lewis uh, in, in relation to uh, history. And one of those was naturally comes up here in terms of, well, it'll be the question after next. But before we uh, do that, uh, I uh, already noted that you didn't write this book alone. So tell us a little bit about yourself as well as your co-author and how the book came to be. Well, of course, I've been a historian for 30 plus years, uh, taught at four Christian universities along the way still teaching as an adjunct. I'm not quite that old yet. So <laughs> uh, I've been, you know, researching, writing history for a long time. And I started research on this book because I wanted to find out, you know, again, about Lewis and his connections with history. And as I did, and as I was actually, I think, blogging about it, somewhere along the way, one of my former students, who was a history major at Southeastern University with me, um, realized what I was doing. And he contacted me and said, I'm, I'm looking into the same thing. I said, well, you know, if, if you're looking into the same thing, uh, maybe we can look into it together. And uh, how would you feel about uh, being a co-author of this particular book that I hope we can get published? And he was very enthusiastic about that. And so we did work together and worked together very nicely, I think. Uh, Jamin Metcalf is his name. And uh, Jamin has some strengths that I do not have. I mean, we complemented each other very well. He went on from uh, Southeastern with his, with his undergrad and went and got a master's in humanities with an emphasis in literature and philosophy. And so it was particularly important in one of the chapters of the book that talked about historical imagination uh, in literature. And so um, I really give him a lot of credit for helping me with the book with that. Uh, he, he's good until we have faces, and I needed somebody who could say more about that than I could. And he was very good at, at adding something in on that as well. So this is a, uh, I'm, I'm really happy with the result of that uh, cooperation. Uh, yes, yeah, I, I think it uh, flows quite nicely in terms of um, your uh, each uh, strengths um, uh, well merged together to where it uh, um, the material in your book 
comes across quite clearly to where I think, um, you know, anybody, either a, a casual Lewis reader will, will find it fascinating as, as well as those more uh, well-versed already in Lewis will find some fresh insights. Well, now, uh, I believe it's uh, chapter three, if I'm looking at your table of contents correctly, where uh, you discuss more specifically, you may bring it up in, in other places here, but Lewis warned of historicism. First, uh, what is it, and what is some of what uh, Lewis has said on the issue? The word historicism has to be defined pretty clearly. Uh, oh, that's why I devoted a whole chapter to that. And trying to clarify what historicism means, I'll try to put it as simply as possible. It's the idea that history actually has a mind of its own, that uh, everything that has happened in history and is going to happen and become history is kind of inevitable. That history is going to play out in one particular direction and nothing really can stop it. And, you know, everything that has happened in history, you know, it's what history determined would actually happen. First of all, you make a person out of history. That, that's kind of significantly, you know, wrong right there. But you'll hear it quite often in the, in the uh, vernacular as people saying, well, we need to be on the right side of history. Well, what do you mean? I mean, <laughs> you got some idea that history is going this way and boy, you better jump on the train. And or you hear it on the other side where people say, don't be on the wrong side of history. As if history is something that's just going to work out the way that uh, it decides it's going to do. Uh, Lewis makes it clear that what happens and what history is comprised of is actually just decisions and actions of everyone who has lived and or is living. And uh, there are billions upon billions of those decisions that go into what history is going to be. He's particularly concerned about how Christians will misuse this concept when they think that since God is in control, all things that happened are what he wanted. And there's also the tendency among Christians to see any disaster that comes along or any bad thing that happens to anybody as somehow a direct judgment of God. Um, now, in the scripture, if we have the scripture, we can say, yes, yeah, something was a judgment of God, and this happened because of this or that. But uh, you can't do that if you don't have a scripture for it. You got to be real careful about those kind of things. I love the comment he makes in his essay on historicism, which is a superb essay, by the way. I mean, a whole essay just on that concept of historicism. He kind of sums it up this way. He says, if by one miracle, the total content of time were spread out before me, and if by another, another miracle, I were able to hold all that infinity of events in my mind, hey, my mind's not big enough for that, by the way, and if by a third, God were pleased to comment on it, so that I can understand it, then to be sure, I could do what the historicist says he is doing. I could read the meaning, I could discern the pattern. And then I love Lewis's humor. He says, yes, and if the sky fell, we should all catch larks. Okay, <laughs> there's a big if in there, okay? And he goes on to say, I do not dispute that history is a story written by the finger of God. But then he adds this, but have we the text? In other words, has God told us? Okay. Uh, when it comes to biblical matters, we have the text. When it comes to everything that has happened afterwards, we do not have the text. So we have to be really careful with that. Mm, yes, excellent warning that Lewis gives uh, in that realm. Yes, very good. Well, now, before continuing with the content of your book, what was the most enjoyable part of writing it, and what was the uh, biggest challenge? Well, it's always enjoyable uh, to write something about something that people haven't delved into as deeply as I wish they would have. 
Uh, that's why in my first book, America Discovers C.S. Lewis, I, I did research and discovered nobody had actually written a book about all Lewis's connections to Americans. So it was a new kind of a thing, a niche, actually, that could be filled in. So that's enjoyable right there. And then going to the Wade Center, doing a lot of research into Lewis's personal library, where I could see the markings in the books that he read and see how that connects to what I was trying to discover. I, I mean, historians are they enjoy that kind of thing. I mean, they're really strange people. Okay, so they enjoy looking into all these books and all the markings. And then also at the Wade Center, I found all these doctoral dissertations people had written that are not published that, uh, you know, dealt with the subject as well. And so I just had this wealth of information that is all very enjoyable. And then being able to pull it all together, show how history influenced so much of what he wrote, even in his fiction. Uh, matter of fact, that the last chapter of the book deals with uh, how history uh, fits into Lewis's fiction. And frankly, at the beginning, that wasn't even part of our plan to include that. But then I said, wait a minute, we can't leave that out. Everybody loves Lewis's fiction, and there's got to be historical basis for it. So uh, we, we added that in also. And, and by the way, there was a lot of historical basis. Now, on the challenges side, it's, you know, just not leaving out anything important. I mean, there's so much of Lewis's to, works to consider. Uh, what if I miss this? What if I miss that? Uh, and on the technical side, uh, um, there was a limit to what the Lewis company allows you to quote, Okay, how many words of Lewis. So there's this 3,500 word limit. And boy, try to keep, keep that uh, under 3,500 words. I think we came in at 3,400 something after doing as much editing as possible. So that's always a challenge on the technical side. But uh, putting putting Lewis's thoughts into our own words, you know, and paraphrasing. But actually, that's good for us to be able to uh, take what Lewis said and and to make it uh, our own. So so I I don't I don't really uh, I don't really castigate them for wanting to do that. <laughs> okay, put it that way. Oh, very good. Well, now uh, you you're mentioning some aspects of what the next question will be to where. Um, we're, you know, wanting to not give away too much from the book. And so I'm going to ask you to kind of summarize some things to where, you know, our entire conversation could be based on exploring the following. And that is to share a few points about how Lewis weaves his knowledge of history into his fiction as well as his nonfiction. Well, our foundational quote for this entire book comes from his essay, Learning in Wartime, in which he says the following. Most of all, perhaps we need intimate knowledge of the past. Oh, it was nice to see, see Lewis say that, okay? And he goes on to say, A man who has lived in many places is not likely to be deceived by the local errors of his native village. The scholar has lived in many times and is therefore in some degree immune from the great cataract of nonsense that pours from the press on the microphone of his own age. I really love that quote. I always I went back to it many times before, but now it, it provided a nice title for a book. <laughs> many times in many places, all right? Um, and, you know, there's still a lot of uh, what you might call a great cataract of nonsense that pours from our social media and press of the day, even though not all that existed in Lewis's time. So the concept is still there. We need an intimate knowledge of the past. So, like I say, that's that's kind of the cornerstone quote from Lewis on which the entire book is built. But you can go into, I mean, many of his essays. We've already talked about the historicism essay. Uh, if you look at one called, uh, and I'm going to try to get the Latin right on this one too, De, De Audiendus Poetis, okay? uh, one of the main points in there is putting oneself into the past to understand it better. You have to put yourself back there, see things through the eyes of the people who live in the past. Right? 
there's other other um, essays like on the reading of old books. Uh, obviously, a historical context there. He has one called his History Bunk, which actually deals with uh, Henry Ford, <laughs> who made a comment along that line because he said, no, I just do what it, if it does something practical, okay, but otherwise don't worry about it. Lewis says, uh-uh. Uh, there's another one called Modern Man and His Categories of Thought. Okay, Lewis was very into following the philosophic trends of past and present. And then uh, one called On Living in an Atomic Age. So here's Lewis dealing with the not the current, but saying, hey, we've had these kinds of things happen before. It's just a little different kind of thing. Everybody's going to die eventually, whether it's by an atomic bomb or all the way they did previously. And of course, you get into his major works like Pilgrim's Regress, and you get to the end of Pilgrim's Regress, and he and he's and just John, the character traveling around, is trying to find answers to life. And where does he end up? He ends up at a little chapel where there's a hermit that goes by the name of history. And history is the one that leads him to go back to Mother Kirk or the church. Okay? In the allegory of love, what we got there is uh, Lewis's knowledge of the an entire historical era of the medieval time and what courtly love is all about. Even you know the preface to Paradise Lost. When I started to read that, I thought, oh boy, this is going to be dense. This is going to be hard. But actually, uh, half of the book is historical background that Lewis found found it necessary to provide to actually do a commentary on on Paradise Lost. We've mentioned uh, De Descriptione Temporum already, which uh, deals a lot with the Renaissance and various periods. Um, then his masterpiece, English Literature in the 16th Century, my goodness, it's the Oxford History you know, um, series that he wrote this, this massive book on. And so it's all history of that particular era. Um, when he wrote The Discarded Image, what he's showing is his mastery of the medieval worldview, the, the medieval model of the universe. Um, you can even go to things like screw tape letters, and there are two very specific letters that focus on how to misuse history, how to lead people away from God by doing so. And uh, then, you know, the Ransom Trilogy, Chronicles of Narnia, how do you get away from medievalism in the Ransom Trilogy and the Chronicles of, Nar of Narnia? It's just, you know, it's it's throughout. And, and I hope people, when they get to that section of the book, uh, that they'll say, wow, I never saw all that before. This is fascinating. That's my hope anyway. Well, and, and I can testify myself when I uh, read your book that uh, that's uh, definitely uh, how I felt uh, and such. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we do encourage people to get a copy of the book that you co-authored. Again, it's entitled Many Times and Many Places, C.S. Lewis and the Value of History. And I'm talking with Alan Snyder. Well, now, where can people find you online and what content uh, will they discover there? Well, I do have a website. It's called Pondering Principles. So you can go to ponderingprinciples.com. That's principles with a P-L-E-S at the end. All right. People need spelling lessons nowadays as well. Mm -hmm. So ponderingprinciples.com. Now, I, for a while, I kind of, you know, didn't really update a lot there. I just had a blog, which I will, you know, I, I write occasionally in there. So they can go to the blog. And, but, you know, there are articles that I've written that are available there. There are Descriptions of the six books that I have written. Uh, each one, every every book has a link to where you can order it on Amazon. Um, I think I want to mention it's not just the current book, but uh, there's that book America Discovers C.S. Lewis that I would love for people to have as well. Uh, there are videos on um, worldview. Uh, my church uh, recorded me about 14 different sessions on various worldviews throughout history. 
And uh, C.S. Lewis seems to pop up quite often in some mm -hmm. of those videos. I, gee, I have no idea why. <laughs> but <laughs> they can go and you can watch those videos. Um, and they're not too long. Some of them are even fewer than 20 minutes. No, nothing is over 23 minutes. Okay, And very, I hope they're very interesting. They, the production of them, I think, is pretty top-notch. You might be surprised by what's done with the production. It's not just me standing at a lectern and talking, right? And then there's a great quote section. And just recently, I have... I have really updated that extensively on C.S. Lewis. I just, it goes on and on forever <laughs> through most of his books. All the things that I think are valuable in these books, you can find there. Um, and uh, I, I added in two more people that I didn't have in the great quote section, G.K. Chesterton and Dorothy L. Sayers. So I, I hope that there are some things people might be interested in at that particular website. Yes, I definitely encourage people to uh, check out your website, and then uh, we, we'll have a link in our show notes or in the description, and that will include a link to the interview we did previously with you about your book about America Discovers C.S. Lewis. Well, Alan, uh, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you. I, I love being invited. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Alan Snyder, co-author of Many Times and Many Places. C.S. Lewis and the Value of History. It was released not long before I recorded this interview in early October 2023. Again, I'm William O'Flaherty. My podcast, All About Jack, has been around since 2011. My more recent YouTube channel is called Knowing and Understanding C.S. Lewis. Be sure to check out my short feature called The Latest on C.S. Lewis that focuses on timely news. Check the description or show notes for links to items mentioned in the show today. Finally, everything I do related to Lewis is centralized at the website, EssentialCSLewis.com. And in case you didn't know, I've written two Lewis-themed books. The misquotable C.S. Lewis was released in 2018. It examines 75 quotations credited to him that he either didn't write or paraphrases of something he did or without the context could be misunderstood. In 2016, my enhanced study guide to the Screwtape Letters came out. It's called C.S. Lewis Goes to Hell. Thanks again for listening, and please consider liking and sharing this episode with others. <laughs>